Are you feeling frustrated with the job hunt? Are endless applications and a radio silence getting you down? You can now book me for $1 a minute for 30, 45, or 60 minutes. Don't need 45 minutes, don't pay for it. Want to do 30 minutes now and maybe 30 minutes later? Once you progress, let's do it. We can conduct a mock interview. I'll help you format great responses that make a difference. We can improve your resume and cover letter to help get you noticed. I'm here to consult with you. If you're in a unique situation and want input from someone that has seen it all and can help you succeed like I have so many others, it's super simple. Just go to jobinterviewexperience.com and click the $1 a minute coaching button at the very top of the page. Select the amount of time you want to meet and then you can look through my availability without having to pay. Check out my availability, pick a time, and pay $1 a minute for 100% of my attention. It's blocked into 30, 45, or 60 minutes, so we won't go over, you won't get charged any more than what you pay at checkout. Remember, the faster you invest in yourself, the faster you land that dream job. Go to jobinterviewexperience.com or follow the link in this episode's description. I'm excited to meet and help you take control of your career today. Money, salary, compensation, these are some of the most feared topics that hover over job interviews. How do you talk about salary? What do you say? What shouldn't you say? And how is the interviewer going to approach this? We need to uncover negotiation myths and the mystery around salary discussions that hold us back from earning more money. And Kelly Thompson has returned to the job interview experience to do just that. Kelly is a women's leadership coach and speaker who helps women advance to the rooms where decisions are made. Kelly has coached and trained hundreds of women to trust themselves, lead with more confidence, and create a career they love. She's the founder of the Clarity and Confidence Women's Leadership Program and a Stevie Award winner for Women in Business Coach of the Year. Kelly is also the author of Closing the Confidence Gap, Boost Your Peace, Your Potential, and Your Paycheck. I've asked Kelly to come back and share more. Here she is. Kelly, welcome back to the job interview experience. Oh, thanks for having me back. Money, salary, compensation. These are a few of my favorite things, actually. So I'm excited to talk about it. What has your experience been with salary negotiation and how has it impacted your career personally? Yeah, you know, it's interesting. One of the stories actually told in the book actually started back from when I was a little girl. So when I was a little girl, I wanted to be a meteorologist. I was obsessed with the weather. I could tell you all the cloud formations, you know, why the sky is blue, all the things. I wanted to be the weather girl on TV. And so I go to college and that's my major is meteorology. And about halfway in, I start to realize I'm like, oh, I got to work the six and 10 o'clock news every night. I'm like, I don't want to do that. And so I kind of had this existential crisis where I needed to change my major. And, you know, so I just did something easy, political science and business. But at that same time, my mom actually went into financial services and I actually got a job at the bank. So two things were happening at the same time. And I remember my first money fascination came when my mom brought home like this little paper slider tool that said, hey, if you invest like $25 a month in 50 years, you know, you're going to have like a million dollars. It was like, whoa, you know. But fast forward to my first job. One of the things that I, I did early on was I was in sales, a sales trainer, eventually landed in HR where I was offering jobs to people. And all of a sudden having to talk about money. And I remember being a bank teller. And I remember the first time I saw my cash drawer, I see all these hundreds in there. And I was like, whoa, 
but eventually they just become paper. And kind of the same thing with being a recruiter. Talking about money was all weird at first because I'd see these big salaries, but then it literally just became a conversation. But what was interesting to me and why I think this contrasts with my original career path is the weather is like the safest topic to talk about. If you ever don't know what to talk about, you can always talk about the weather. But here I was and I went into corporate America and I eventually went into HR and I was dealing with the hardest topic to talk about, which is money. And, you know, one of the things that became really important to me, especially, you know, in my career in HR was I would see very different attitudes from men and women towards money. And I started to learn more about the gender pay gap. And I noticed that men had higher starting salary requests. I noticed that men tended to negotiate more. And it just kind of hit me. I'm like, I need to make talking about money as easy as talking about the weather. And so through my course of my career, so many things became apparent. A lot of the myths about salary negotiation became apparent. And we'll walk through those today, along with just I've seen about everything. And so I'm just excited to talk about this topic. But it really just, I kind of landed into it in kind of a, a backwards sort of way, but it just became something I just absolutely love to talk about, even though it feels difficult for a lot of people. You said something that stuck out to me, we talked about the cash in the money drawer, and then interviewers talking about salary. And I, I've probably asked thousands of people, how much are you looking to make? Or the way I would word it a lot of times is, where would you like to be to make your next move? For the interviewer, they're not all hyped up about this question. You just get to the point where it's just part of the conversation. Typically, there's no tricks involved with it. You do have to talk about this to line up the job that you have open with what this person might be seeking to make sure you're on the same page. And at some point, you have to cross that bridge. It's interesting how you put it that way that the interviewer is not nervous. The job seekers, typically, this is one of maybe three questions that's going to be on the very top of their mind and for good reasons. So it's interesting seeing the difference there. This is just a question, just a check it off the box or check it off the list question for one side of the table. And then it's like, a please don't ask me this question for the other. Where do you think all of this fear and mystery in our jobs culture comes from in regards to the salary negotiation portion of the interview? Yeah. And I think I can speak on behalf of just what I've observed and personal experience with women. It's some of it's cultural. You know, let's just think back into the not so um, distant history. Remember, 1974 was the year women could finally take credit in their own name and open a bank account in their own name. Okay, so like for some of us, like that's my mother. That wasn't that long ago. So just you have to think about the culture in which many women were raised, which was we don't talk about money. You know, money isn't a conversation about being a financial provider. We've heard messages like it's not polite to ask. You know, you should just be grateful for what you've been given. They've been so generous to you. Where sometimes the messages that men have heard about money are just a little bit different. Because again, I'm talking about traditional gender roles. I don't mean to stereotype, but it's just kind of the way of it. Men had more conversations about money, about providing, about earning a certain amount to provide for the family. And I do think that we're getting better. But, you know, the, the gender wage gap does persi persist. This whole money topic is weird. It's because culturally... Even as, you know, uh, no matter what gender you are, people just don't talk about money. But I think a lot of the things that are happening right now with states enacting pay, uh, pay transparency laws is really helping just normalize, hey, here's a senior account specialist and the range is X to Y. And I think, you know, really having that and having that conversation, I think, is making it better. 
it's just something that it's just no more normal normal to talk about. But we just didn't talk about it for the longest time. And so it just feels like this weird, taboo, touchy subject. Yeah, you hit on something really interesting there, which is in everyday life, and I think for good reason, you you don't just ask people how much they make. Your neighbor gets a new car and you don't say, wow, how much she makes so you can buy yeah, that? Yeah, did you get a bonus? Yeah. You, you know, you're not asking <laughs> your cousins at the kitchen table at Thanksgiving or whatever it is. It, it, I think it is impolite, right? It, it's a very personal thing. And whether it be a high number or a low number, people typically just don't want to talk about it. I didn't think about how culturally we also have this norm of not bringing it up. And now it's just glaring you in the face. And not only is it a discussion topic, it also can impact whether or not you get the job offer, which impacts way more than just your nerves and the current situation you're in. Kelly, what are your top five myths of salary negotiation that we're going to talk about today? Yeah, let's just unpack them one at a time, if that's okay, because I think we're really on the first one, which is myth number one, which is it's rude to ask. I think we just talked just very briefly about all of the stereotypes. I think sometimes that, you know, we endured that somewhere along the way we've heard a version of, oh, it's rude to ask, it's rude to bring it up. But here's something I want you to know from somebody who has negotiated her salary quite a bit in, a, in the corporate world. And quite frankly, now as an entrepreneur, I still have to negotiate my quote unquote salary because people want to hire me to speak or whatever. And I have rates, right? But I've also been an HR person. So here's what I want you to know. As an HR person, like talking about money is like talking about the weather for us. It's just part of the conversation. You know, I'm sitting on the other end of the phone call lots of times in my initial screening call as an HR person. And like, I'm, I'm prepared for you to ask. We should ask. In fact, you know, this kind of leads into another one of my myths, which is, you know, I shouldn't talk about money and benefits until the end. Actually, I disagree. I always talked about money on the very first call every time I was hiring for someone, because here's the thing, I believe in failing fast. And so, you know what, if you, Matthew, are looking for a salary at 85,000, but my range is only 55 to 65 and I just can't go anymore, like I wanna honor your time and your dignity by just saying, we're just not gonna meet in a place that's beneficial for both of us. So. I don't want to waste any more of your time or interviewing schedules, brain power on us. Go somewhere that is a better match. And the same thing, too, is like, I don't want to bring candidates in and waste all my hiring manager's time if we aren't even going to be in the ballpark. So, you know, I really want to get beyond this myth that it's rude to ask because as an HR person, I am expecting you to ask and negotiate. And then the second myth that ties into that is I shouldn't talk about money and benefits to the end. No, let's talk about it at the beginning. I would always bring it up in the beginning and I would often send folks my benefits package because if we're not a fit there, like let's just fail fast and not keep moving. What you said about bringing it up early, I did the same thing. Maybe it wasn't my first interview question, but I'd typically touch on it during like a, a phone interview. And usually you dig into it more, right? And you try and, especially at higher level positions, you, you try and figure out how you can make it work depending on your location, the market, your industry. I would have people that would be making way more than what we pay. And my take as a recruiter is always, you do the best job when you act more as a consultant. So when I would talk to people and they'd say, you know, maybe we're going to pay $40,000 a year and they're making 60, you just say, hey, look, where you're at, I think this job is like the highest priority. We just don't prioritize it the same way. This is important, but we just can't go anywhere above 40. And I just don't want to waste your time. Mm -hmm. people are usually relieved to hear that. Maybe they're a little disappointed, 
with the big gap in pay there, it just helps both parties move on instead of dragging them along to an interview next week. Maybe they're not going to keep applying for jobs, but you hurt them in their job search. And then also it takes up our time that we may or may not have to talk to people. Yeah. I think it's a good practice. Like you said, cover that question early, get it out of the way, maybe even get some of those nerves out of the way. And you can keep building the relationship from there, especially if you do align in the same salary range, you get that taken care of and then move on to more important things as far as how they can function, how they can fit. And if you can close the deal and get them started working for you as soon as possible. Yeah, even better. I just am a huge fan of salary transparency. Put the range on the job posting because then you aren't even getting on a phone screen with somebody who is so far outside your ballpark, right, that we're wasting folks' time. And if you're listening and you're thinking, oh, my goodness, well, how do I even bring up this whole salary thing? You can just simply ask, I'm really interested in this position. Can you tell me more what the salary range is that you're considering paying this person? Like for you just to simply ask it that way, like a recruiter should be able to tell you. And if for some reason that you feel a weird vibe on the other end or the recruiter hesitates or it gets awkward, just pay attention to your gut. That could be maybe the first clue that something is a little bit wonky there because in jobs and in HR, most recruiters are armed and have no problem sharing what the salary range is because as you say, like it just saves everyone time. Now, I'll add to that. If you ask, and even if they don't share, if you're a good candidate, it's not going to disqualify you. They're not going to go, oh my gosh, they brought up salary. We need to make sure we never talk to this person again. If for some reason, like you said, that they won't share it, which is probably unlikely, it's just going to be one moment in the interview where they had to think on their feet and skirt around the question and then move on. But if they like you, I don't think it's going to impact your candidacy at all. Yeah, I agree. Should we talk about another one? Please. This is one that I see. Okay, so myth number another one. I think we're on number three. If it's more, if the job offer is more than what I currently make, I shouldn't negotiate even higher. So I made this mistake in my very first job change in real corporate America. So I remember I was living in Missouri and I was moving back to Nebraska. And it was kind of one of those things where I uh, moved before I actually had a job. So there's maybe a little desperation in there. But I remember I was interviewing and I got a job offer from another bank. And the, the job offer was like 5000 more than what I was currently making. And I mean, we're talking like this was in the 20. Like, I think it was my first job and my first job paid me $23,000 a year. I thought it was so rich coming out of college. And I think this next job offer paid me like 29000 And so I thought that like I'd hit the lottery at that point. But because it was higher, I just didn't even negotiate. I was like, oh, my gosh, this is amazing. Yes, absolutely. But what was really interesting was is that first job offer anchored my salary for the next 12 years that I was at that organization. Because many of you may or may not know that once you get into an organization, even if you switch roles, a lot of organizations have these weird internal policies about how, oh, we can't ever raise somebody's salary more than 15% at a time. Or even if you get your three to four or three to five percent increases at annual review time, it's still anchoring off that base salary in which you started. And so what I really want folks to do is I really want to offer two sides of the coin here. I want to talk about the employer side. In many states now, it is actually illegal to ask for salary history. And the reason is, is because it causes a anchoring bias in job offers because women and people of color have traditionally made less than white men. And so in a very unconscious anchoring bias, 
I might see Julie's, you know, salary come across. I'm prepared to pay 75 to 90 and she's making 75 now. I might unconsciously think, and I hate to say that I've probably done this as a recruiter. Oh, I bet I could probably get her for 80. When maybe I would have been prepared to pay another candidate more if they would have had maybe a higher previous salary. And so, you know, with employers not having that data, it can really level the playing field so that we don't continue to underpay women and people of color who have traditionally been paid less than than men. And so I think that that's something really important to think about when we think about salary history, not letting that that anchor. The second thing from the candidate perspective that I really want folks to think about is don't just take the offer because it's higher. Go out and do research. Here's the cool thing. Because of pay salary transparency, there are so many resources out there for you to look and see what is the job that I'm doing? What's the region that I'm doing it in? What are other companies paying going on LinkedIn and looking at other jobs who have salary ranges posted? You can do a lot of research before you go into a job with all of this free information on the internet from like Glassdoor, Payscale, Salary.com, LinkedIn, OpenComp.com and come in with like a really good, well-educated number. And that's what I really encourage folks to do is like, let's go out, let's do a little education of ourselves first. What can we bring to the table? What is this role paying in my industry? That way, when I get the job offer, I'm not anchoring off of what I used to make. I'm making my negotiation decisions based on what the market should be paying for this role and the results that I can bring to the position. For anyone that's listening that's maybe newer to their job search or you're looking at a hyper-local job market, one of the things Kelly's talking about is a couple of states have passed laws. Uh, it's like the Salary Transparency Act or something like that, where employers must list on their job description the, the compensation, the comp range for the role. I, I know California is one, maybe Colorado. I think a couple. they're mostly Western states. New York, thank you. So that's what we're talking about, which is great for people in those states. The other side is for remote workers. It's, I think it's really helped open up and given more people access to that. So it doesn't just impact Californians and New, New Yorkians or whatever that term is, New Yorkers. It, it really helps people see where they could be. Now, it is tricky because, say, in Palo Alto, the salary range is going to be different for most jobs than it's going to be in Missouri. And so it's made things a little more difficult because a company that's hiring remote can pay less for someone in a different market than, say, on the very Western coast. There's two sides to that. I, th I think paying people f for their skills makes sense. There's the other side of if you're relocating from somewhere, you have to increase your salary to match that market. So it's a very complex thing. But I think at the end of the day, it's helping job seekers see what the range is. So for anyone that's hearing us talk about that and is a little bit unsure of what we're referring to, sometimes I'll go and research salaries. I'll look for companies in those markets and see what their job listings show for that because that's real-time data. I think Glassdoor and all those other sites are really good. So if you ever want to snoop around, you can look up what all the states are. I don't know exactly who's made the changes even in the last couple of months, but it's a good way to see if you like working remote or your skill set allows it you might see a huge gap between what you can make in your market and at a remote job could be less as well, but yeah. worth looking into. I tell folks to go to their state BLS Bureau of Labor Statistics site. So each state has like a, a wage estimate system. I know Nebraska does. And you can drill down by job title and it will show you actual government report data with people making in like those categories of roles. In terms of location-based pay, I'm glad you brought this up. I have a client, bless her heart, 
a couple of clients who are remote and one is in, in tech, you know, and so she knows, and this is something for you to look for. Do organizations have what they call, there's many different words for it, standard pay or location-based pay. And she was an IT person for a company who just paid everybody the same. They paid New York wages no matter where you live. They were just, we're just going to pay everybody New York wages. She's, she's like, this was great. But unfortunately, she was part of the big IT layoffs in the last year. And so when she was looking for a job, she just kind of made a little joke. She goes, you know, I really enjoyed those New York wages for a while. But what I'm finding now is that for remote workers, they're all doing a more location-based adjustment. So she's like, I'm probably going to have to reset my expectations. And so she had a good attitude about it. But your story just made me think about it. And that, yeah, some companies do just have a standard rate, but most likely they're going to have a location adjustment. And I'm glad you brought that up. It's really important to know that. Are we on to myth number five? Uh, we are myth number four. So myth number four is money is the only thing that I can negotiate. And myth number five is I should talk about my life situations to get the number that I want. We can kind of combine those. You know, I think a lot of times, you know, when people go into negotiations, they've heard something like, you should tell folks that you're the sole provider or you want to do this and you want to do that. And that's the number we need. And I remember I've heard that as a recruiter. I had an individual we were making an offer to and he said, I really want my wife to stay home. So I need to make X. And I'm like, I love that. I love that that is a goal for you. I love that that's what you and your family want. However, as an organization, you know, we have to pay market rates. We can't go around and pay Matthew a little more because, you know, he wants his partner to stay home or pay Julie a little more because she has five kids because that actually leads to more pay in equity. And so I know that sometimes that that advice gets floated. I don't like it. When folks go in and I have a free salary negotiation guide on my website that I'm sure we can put in the in the links, but it's always best to do your due diligence of what is the market paying? What is the skill set that I bring to the job? What are the results that I can bring to the job? And that's what we're going to base our argument off of is our skills, our talents, our abilities, our results. And we're going to operate and negotiate within market ranges. And I think then that brings me to the last myth, which is money's the only thing I can negotiate. You know what? Here's the thing. I've left jobs. I know my clients have left jobs for just a smidge less money because we wanted a different lifestyle. I've been in the golden handcuffs where I had a great salary, I had a great title, I had great benefits, but I was miserable. And I tell folks, no amount of money is worth the misery. And so there are other things that you can negotiate. In some organizations, depending on your level, you can negotiate vacation hours. In some organizations, you would need to know their culture. You can negotiate how many days you work from home. In some organizations, you may be able to negotiate a certain level of flexibility or working hours. And the item I love my clients to negotiate for is learning and development reimbursement. So many organizations have little buckets of money that, especially if you are coming into a leadership position, say, hey, yeah, I know this is a little less than what I'm making, but I would love for you to give me a $5,000 annual stipend for an executive coach to go to this annual leadership conference, to attend this leadership development training that I have my eye on. And so I think those are all things that we can negotiate. So yes, negotiating on some of the flexible benefits, but a no to negotiating on using your family situation to get the number you want. And it, it's almost a trick negotiation tactic because it makes you look good. Now, if you said, I want to go get my PhD, will you reimburse my college? That's not going to fly. 
But when you ask that question, what you're saying is, I want to keep getting better at this job, or I want to keep getting skills that will help this company do better. And will you invest in me so I can do that for you? That's what I would hear. Not only does it help you gain skills for your entire career, but from the other side of the table, I'm saying this person doesn't just want to float in this job for a couple of years. They want to push going to conferences, taking online courses, getting new certifications. That all just comes back and helps the company grow. This person will keep us on leading edge technology or management ideas, or philosophies, whatever it might be. Not only will it benefit you as the employee, just bringing that up makes you look good in your interview. Yeah, I love it. I never thought about it that way, but perfect. Mic drop. What you said about bringing in life circumstances into the salary negotiation, if, if anyone in this podcast hears anyone give that advice, please run as quickly as you can. I've run into that in a number of interviews. I remember there was a very young professional and we asked about what he was looking to make. And he brought up, he's like, my car payment is this, my rent is this and this and this and this. And so I like to be here. And it, of course it was a little bit of a higher number. It's never, that never ends up being a lower number. And like I said earlier, that doesn't offend me. We would have still hired the guy. I think he was in a little over his head. We were talking afterwards. It's like, so if he would have been leasing a brand new Corvette, would we have had to pay him even more? Like when someone brings that up, I think it just shows a lack of business understanding of your lifestyle does not change the bottom line of this job. And there's a maximum you can pay a person where the company doesn't get an ROI out of it anymore. Anytime that salary comes up, just don't bring up anything about your lifestyle, what you need to do. I think even bringing up inflation, the economy, just it doesn't matter your skills and what you can do for the company and you being able to deliver for them is what they're looking for. And maybe that's raised your minimum for your salary range. That's totally fine. But don't bring those factors into the conversation. I don't think it looks professional. And I think it shows a lack of understanding of where the salary ranges come from. Yeah, 100%. I love it. It's like we are here to talk about your contribution to the company and not your lifestyle choices and your budget. Love that for you, but that's just not what we're here for. And I think to help folks understand, well, why can't they just pay whatever they think is, is necessary? Many companies, and I think this is important for you to understand as a job seeker, have what we call a compensation philosophy. So if they are in any sense of the words mature and not just a startup with 10 people, they probably made some decisions on if they're going to pay top of market, middle of market, or lower end of market. And if they pay lower end of market, it could be due to size or they have other benefits, et cetera. And then once they kind of have that compensation philosophy, they will then go in and say, okay, we have individuals at different levels in the organization. So you got your CEO, your C-suite team, your senior vice presidents, senior directors, whatever it is. And what that means is each person is in what they call a compensation band. And lots of organizations, depending on their size, will have three band levels of compensation. Some have eight. And the reason why they do that is for equity, to be sure that we are paying people fairly, not only across a peer level to minimize inequities, but also really making sure that we're doing a lot of research, that we're paying each role in addition to market. Organizations do work with consultants that that's all they do is compensation data. And so just know that great organizations who really think about their compensation philosophy as a benefit and a talent recruitment tool are already thinking about adjusting for inflation, 
doing market research analysis, making sure we're paying our talent in alignment with what they get into the marketplace so that we're not getting poached constantly. And so I guess I just wanted to add that in so that job seekers know that on the other end, people aren't just shooting in the dark. I mean, there is a little bit of art and science behind all of this to ensure that we're paying market and to ensure there's equity. What do you think is the biggest mistake job seekers make when it comes to salary negotiation? They don't do their homework. I have a free salary negotiation guide. It just walks you through five steps. The first one is you're just going to do some market research. Just go out and be aware of what people are making in your location doing the work that you want to do. The second thing is I want you to do an inventory of your skills and talents, abilities and results. Okay, what unique skills do you bring to the company? What is your unique value proposition? If I was interviewing Matthew in a sea of like 20 other people with his skills and talents, why Matthew? Why should I hire him? Why is he the obvious choice? Really taking an inventory too of like your results. What have you done in previous jobs and what can you bring to this organization? And then like, let's just start practicing your ask. Don't make the first time that you get on a call and talking about salary, you know, the first time you have the conversation. Record yourself on your iPhone, give your pitch to your dog, do it in front of the mirror, give it to your partner or a trusted friend, do the research, take a personal inventory of your skills, talents, and abilities. I want you to prep your ask, write out your script, practice your ask, and then make your ask. And when I tell folks to make their ask, I say two things. One, you are going to be wildly uncomfortable, and that is okay. Like, do not let your discomfort keep you from making the ask of what you deserve. Like you can make a clear and effective ask while also feeling wildly uncomfortable. And even me quoting my prices today to people who want me to come do stuff, I still feel a little twinge of discomfort because it's just a vulnerable topic, right? And then the second thing I want you to think about when making your ask is make your ask and shut up. I hear so many people go, okay, so what I'm really looking for and here's all my skills and talents and why I'm amazing, I'm looking for, you know, $90,000. But if you can't do that, it's okay. Nope. $90,000. Be quiet. It's hard to do. It is hard to do. Let me ask your opinion, Kelly. What do you think of providing a salary range versus giving one solid number? I love it. I really do. So like even in my life, I'll just be honest, something that's maybe unique about me is every year I have income goals for my business because I'm running my own business and I do good, better, best. This would be a good income goal. This would be a better income goal. This would be a best income goal. I do that with my clients too. Like when we're talking about job changing and searching, I'm like, okay, let's talk salary. What would be a good salary, a better salary, best salary? So that's one way you can look at it. But I think range, what I love about it is it gives the other person flexibility to also feel like they're in control. But don't give a massive range. Don't be like, I'm looking for 80 to 100,000. That's a lot. I like to keep $10,000 ranges, but if you're going to give a range, make sure the low number is something that you would be in your good, better, best. Maybe it's your better number. So I do like ranges for that reason. I agree. And when I provide information, it's not a one answer fits all. When I provide information on the podcast, I try and come from a spot of a, a lot of people, most people. You're not in a position where you're just kind of floating jobs that come by and waiting for the perfect job. The economy's tough. I think us younger generations, upward mobility is a little bit more difficult than it has been in decades past. I think for most people, they're not in a spot where they're waiting for their $50,000 a year boost in pay and they're not gonna take a job until then. I think most people, 
they have bills to pay and they're looking at how much runway they have, whether it be days, weeks, or months till they get a job. So when I give advice, I like the range in general because it gives them some wiggle room and it gives you an opportunity for both parties to meet in the middle. I recently saw a kind of career influencer say, what you should do is you'd say, I'm interviewing for jobs at $85,000 a year. And that's your answer, which is not bad advice, but that's probably only good advice if you're currently employed and you're not all that motivated to make a move. If you're trying to get money coming back in the bank account and get back on those student loan payments or car payment or mortgage, I think that's playing high risk poker. And I'm seeing stuff like that, the ultra confident salary negotiation stuff come out, which again, depends on where you are coming in with a hard number, especially if it's probably on the higher side, it comes in as you're not willing to work with them to get to the point where both parties can say yes. So it depends on where you're at, depends on what you're trying to do. And if you're internal or external, like you said, it can get really complicated the way companies treat job title promotions, but then where does the pay promotion come from? For listeners, like Kelly said, and I agree with Kelly, I think the range, it's not playing it safe because you can make your range higher than what you're making now. You can push that a little bit, but there's a much better chance that you're going to meet somewhere and there's going to be a point that crosses over between their range and your range where you'll either lead to a second conversation, like Kelly said earlier, where that information lets us know if we're even in the same ballpark and then a job offer where they know that if someone's on the super high end, that's when you start really wasting time, in my experience, trying to bring someone in because they want to start negotiating and you have to have internal meetings. Can we increase our budget five or $10,000 a year to hire this person? And then you say, well, what other kind of talent can we get if we increase our budgets that much? So I'll stop there, but I think the range is really good. Yeah. And I always tell folks, data, 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 data. I mean, it's one thing to come in and try to play the game of, well, I'm interviewing with another company that'll pay me 85 and you're off for 75. I just love objective data, which is I'm currently looking for senior technical analyst roles. And in my experience, these roles are paying between 100 and $120,000 a year. And so that's the range I'm looking for. It's depersonalized, has nothing to do with the company, nothing to do with you. I mean, yes, you'll talk about all your skills and experience, but that's why I just, just love data. It's hard to argue with the data. That's the best advice. I, I like my tangents, but I like ending them even more. Kelly, you have a salary negotiation guide. Is that right? Yes. Yep. It's just a free salary negotiation guide. It's at kellyraythompson.com. If you go to my website, you'll see a little link that says free. Just click the free and you'll find it. It's right there. Okay, listeners, we will link to that in this episode's description. Kelly, thanks for coming back. Yeah. I love talking about money and like my parting advice is, especially for women, actually research does show that men do talk about money more than women do. But the more we can have conversations about money, I believe the more we can close the, the pay gaps, the wage gaps. And if I can just leave folks with one parting word, like coming from somebody who made ton, hundreds of job offers and worked in HR, like I expect you to negotiate. I expect you to ask. I'm waiting for you on the other end to negotiate and to ask. So just know that it is so normal. So please do not let my fellow HR colleagues down by not asking and not negotiating because we're expecting it. Thank you for sharing, Kelly. And thank you for making an impact and, and for helping us. We'll link to that salary negotiation guide. Is there anything else I could add to the episode's description so listeners can connect with you and continue learning from you? Yeah, absolutely. If you want to grab a copy of my book, it's Closing the Confidence Gap, Boost Your Peace, Your Potential, and Your Paycheck. Everywhere books are sold, 
talks a lot about confidence and asking, but there's a whole chapter on money in there. So if you like to talk and read more about money, then you can go straight to chapter eight. All right. Thanks again, Kelly. We will end our conversation and start thinking up what we'll talk about next time on the job interview experience. Thank you. Are you feeling frustrated with the job hunt? Are endless applications and radio silence getting you down? You can now book me for $1 a minute for 30, 45, or 60 minutes. Don't need 45 minutes. Don't pay for it. Want to do 30 minutes now and maybe 30 minutes later? Once you progress, let's do it. We can conduct a mock interview. I'll help you format great responses that make a difference. We can improve your resume and cover letter to help get you noticed. I'm here to consult with you. If you're in a unique situation and want input from someone that has seen it all and can help you succeed like I have so many others, it's super simple. You just go to jobinterviewexperience.com and click the $1 a minute coaching button at the very top of the page. Select the amount of time you want to meet, and then you can look through my availability without having to pay. Check out my availability, pick a time, and pay $1 a minute for 100% of my attention. It's blocked into 30, 45, or 60 minutes, so we won't go over. You won't get charged any more than what you pay at checkout. Remember, the faster you invest in yourself, the faster you land that dream job. Go to jobinterviewexperience.com or follow the link in this episode's description. I'm excited to meet and help you take control of your career today.